0: Hey, Holly. Hey, Julie. Welcome to the Rise for Educators podcast. In this podcast, we will share research-based tools that relate to empowerment, self-care, and all things education.
1: Each week, we will discuss the RISE system, a model we've created to make it easy to identify which self-care tools are the best for you. We will also talk about the ladder, a tool that connects the dots
0: between your mind and your body. I'm Julie. And I'm Holly. We are instructional coaches and sister-in-laws who decided to take our conversations about these ideas out of the corner of our family gatherings and put them into a podcast. Today, our topics are a validating conversation, an emotional conversation, and a hopeful conversation. Are you a fan of fill-in-the-blank conversations? More on that later in the episode so hello everyone um my check-in this week is kind of refers to uh the emotional conversation because i know holly we did some research on kind of processing negative feelings um based on what's going on in the world and along with that my dad has been really sick as you know yeah he's had cancer many years ago and has been cancer free and living a good life. And suddenly his cancer is back. So we, so I've kind of been mindful of all of that uh, that we had kind of talked about. So my check-in is I am trying to kind of process um, because I've always kind of been worried about myself because I have not had um, a lot of loss in my life. And I always thought, Oh my gosh, when my parents die, I'm really going to struggle. And, it turns out my dad, although his cancer is back, he's going to have a life changing surgery, which we're really feeling hopeful about. But I have really this week been focusing on how can I process my emotions? And I've been talking um, to a lot of people and really trying to talk through my feelings because I know, and that's what we're going to talk about in a little bit, that talking about your feelings um, can really help with processing. So that's where mm-hmm. I'm at. And how I about know. You, Hal?
1: Yeah. Well, I know sorry. your dad has really has, I mean, he's such a fighter and he has been <laughs> really fighting a long time with this. And I think, you know, he has such an, a great attitude. Um, so I know I'm so sorry. I yeah. Know oh my gosh. Really he's such sad. a
0: fighter. Yeah. When the cancer came back, it was like, he's not ready to go. We're not ready for him to go. It was terrible. Um, yeah, but he is such a fighter. So they have offered him a life changing. He has um, oral cancer. Um, and so the doctors feel like they can do um, try and remove the cancer, it will be disfiguring to him and it will be life changing. But he is such a fighter that it was like not even a decision. It was like, yep, let's go for it. Yeah. So we yeah. are feeling extremely hopeful. Yeah. Uh, and it's, a, it's amazing how it's like a bad situation, but how you can really still feel hopeful. And one of the doctors in particular, I'm not going to add on to my check-in, was ridiculously um, positive and it just made such a difference. And so it just, uh, um, and he just felt really hopeful that he could reconstruct um my dad's jaw and that um, that he would have some quality of life so um, so it's amazing what they can do, and just having that one doctor who was ridiculously positive just was a, a source of light so um, more um, evidence that one person can really make a difference in someone's life
1: yeah, and I think especially when that person is like viewed as the expert in the room or the leader in the room, yeah, um, yeah. which I think kind of fits into today's episode because we're kind of talking about like you know, <laughs> teachers and being the leaders in your home. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, when you start a conversation, um, just by the fact that you're the leader in the room, you kind of validate people and um make it better.
0: Yep, exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. So how so are you, for, girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my check-in
1: kind of has three quick parts. Um, The first one is I learned a new word this week. Okay. Um, and? My friend, <laughs> oh. Kate, used the word nibblings. Have you ever heard that word before? What is it? Nibblings.
0: Nibblings. Like you're nibbling on something? Like you're eating? That's what I thought, right? But okay, she... no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> she mentioned <laughs> it. and
1: said, oh, my nibblings are coming over. And I was like, you're what? <laughs> and she said, you know, like my nieces and nephews, so I call them nibblings. And I was like, that is a word <laughs> I've been missing in my life. <laughs> because I have never heard that. Is that a real word? Well, so great question. So I'm like, is that a real word? And she's like, seriously, you know, like it's a word. So I look it up, and it's actually not in the dictionary yet. But in consideration, just this year, um, I guess it was brought out in nineteen in the 1950s. It was first used as kind of like siblings, and then the counterpart, oh, of nibblings. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, but I was thinking like, you know, we have a lot of nieces and nephews on um, the side that we share. I have a lot of nieces and nephews on the other side. So I was like, oh yeah, I like collectively referring to them as nibbling. So that's. Okay,
0: good to know. Good to know. (laughs) A new
1: word. Um, We went out, my family went out to eat for the first time since um, Shelter in Place started. Uh, We went downtown Geneva to a place called um, the Burger Local. Have you ever been there, Julie? No, Mm -mm. I don't get out to Geneva often. Yeah um it's such a cute town but um yeah it's just a fun little place um and there was like it was fun to go there you know we we walked down the street and like this kind of air of excitement people are sitting outside which is so fun I think restaurants have been super creative and um adapting their parking lots and their sidewalks to you know usable spaces and still keeping you know the six feet apart social distancing in place um And it was, it was great and, and well worth it. Um, But there's still like that veil of, you know, the hostess and the waiter are in the masks. you know, here are your plastic silverware. We're not going to give you uh, menus, Uh, look it up online. So all totally (laughs) adaptable and I'll take it, you know, but it just, it was kind of nice to be out in the, it is nice to be out kind of the old world again, you know, with a filter. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to share is I listened to a really awesome podcast this week, um, called the parent trap podcast. I know we talked about that, Julie, have you got had
0: a chance to listen? I know I have not listened to the parent. Trap. <laughs> you know,
1: like we, we talk about, like we consume so much information. I know. I, know. Everything in. I don't think I've, yeah.
0: Um, no. so
1: Mm-mm. it's, I think it's only on Spotify. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but, um, the host of that is, her name is Anna Maria Baldonado and she's hysterical. I think she's super funny. I don't even, I think it's more geared toward parents of like elementary, maybe junior high age kids. Um, And I don't have kids that age, but you know, those are the kids that we teach. So like I think that she has a lot of experts on that can give some good opinions um, just about kids in general. Um, And in this episode, she talked to Dr. Allison Briscoe, who is an African American psychologist And it was an awesome interview. I guess it wasn't this week. Maybe it was last week. But um, And she talked about, you know, the current situation and racism. But she did it kind of through this idea of her big thing is, like, when you don't talk to kids about going on, like, what's going on, you might not think that they really understand and you're kind of trying to shelter them from it. But when you don't talk to them about what's going on, they experience all these emotions. Mm -hmm. And they kind of start filling in the blanks, being unguided. And so her point was like, you really need to have not just the one and done conversation, but these consistent conversations, opening up that language and talking to kids about it. Um, So we were sort of talking about like, all right, so everything is going on in the world right now. We're going to have to have some conversations we haven't maybe had with kids or haven't had to the depths that we probably are going to need to, in, if we're going to be responsive to what's going on in the world. Right. Um, so that's kind of what this episode's
0: about. Yeah. Um, okay. So, for listener feedback this week, um, some of you may have noticed that last week we changed our intro. And um, so we got a little bit of feedback on that. And the reason we changed it well, first of all, the feedback that we got was like, okay, it's, we like your intro, but like, why did you change it? And then, it kind of doesn't explain who you are. So you might notice this week, we went back to our old one. Um, <laughs> so any feedback on that we would love. Um, we are just trying to learn and grow and um, figure out how we can have the best podcast possible. Um, and so because this podcast, it's geared towards educators, but really, it has broader implications for humans in everyday life. So that's what we're kind of playing with. Um, so that's our listener feedback for the week. And we
1: just want to thank you so much for listening. And we would love it if you get a chance to rate our podcast so that it's easier for other people to
0: find us. Or if you could just share it with a friend, that would be great. We really, really appreciate all of our listeners. So this week is about being responsive to what's happening in the world with a pandemic and racial tension and looking at our classroom through a different lens. What will our students need this year that is different or deeper than in previous years?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of dysregulated students yeah. from everything that's going on, but also because they haven't been in school and just transitioning back to school. Right.
0: And I think we're going to have dysregulated teachers. Yes. Because it's just going to be weird to transition yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. So this week we are looking at the E in our RISE system, which stands for environment and specifically our classroom environments and how we can support our kids through our classroom environments. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And just thinking back, like, um, normal, in normal conditions, it's not easy to be a teacher and teach all the content and meet the needs of your 25 to 30 students. Um, like, you know, I mean, it, it's a big job. And I know when people come in from the professional world and enter into teaching, I always have this same conversation mm-hmm. as an instructional coach with them. Like, okay, how do we do this? Yeah. Um, right. Now, I think students are going to need even more
0: support and we're still only us. Right. Um, Right. So, right. So, yeah. So today we wanted to talk about some systems that we could put into place and language that we could put into place in our classrooms to support our students and empower them to support each other. So we can build a stronger community with more connected kids, which ultimately supports us as educators, because like Holly just said for us to, to, you know, as teachers to be responding um, on a personal level to 25, 30 students, or I know I work in a middle school, so that's over a hundred students um, is really not always possible. So how can we empower our students to, um, to help each other is really what this episode is about. Yeah. And kind of like build
1: your classroom community at, yeah. at an even deeper level. Yeah. Uh, kind of going to the places you haven't gone before um, Mm -hmm. or as deeply. So, all right. So our first topic is about having a validating conversation and with everything that's going on in the world right now, it's becoming more and more clear to me that like, we really have to talk to kids about their, their identities and their cultures. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something I think we've kind of swept under the carpet. Um, And I think it's been done as like, You know, that's like a don't go there, you know, like that's a a home issue or something, you know, like a one issue, like we don't want to make anybody feel different or, you know, out of place. But what's becoming more clear is like kids need to know a little bit who they are. Um, So my district uh, started this uh, culturally and linguistically responsive um, professional development program over the last few years. And um, part of it is, you know it's kind of like meeting kids culturally and linguistically, changing your mindset, but also your instructional skill set um, so that you're really meeting kids uh, where they are in your classroom and making it a safer, more engaging place for them. mm-hmm. Um, so a cool part of this professional development is that they they asked for volunteers at a school anybody who wanted to be part of what they call a cadre, where you would meet you know a few times during the year and um, kind of go deeper with this this concept, um, and it was a really great experience and one of my favorite things that happened at the first meeting. Um, one of my colleagues, Anna, that I love um, is a really young teacher. She's a golden apple teacher and she totally has it all together. Um, but she, she kind of spoke at this first meeting. And from then on, I was like, wow, that's why we need to do this. Um, so I'm going to share the, her story okay. today that she was gracious enough to um, let me share, uh, because I think it's really powerful. Um, she basically said, CLR is really important to me. And I think it's important for our kids. Um, She said as a Latina, uh, as a Latina girl growing up, she didn't qualify for the bilingual program. And she actually went to our district and there was a bilingual program, but um, I think she tested too high. So she was placed into the English speaking classroom. Um, And as a result of this, she didn't get to have like those closer classroom developed relationships with other kids that kind of looked more like her, spoke Spanish. Um, You know, she had some connections maybe during specials or on the playground, but it wasn't quite the same. And she said, you know, in my classroom, I just, I didn't know any better. I just kind of kept my head down and tried to do the right thing. Um, And she said, um, but I was really quiet. And she said the first book that she ever read that was about someone like her was Esperanza Rising. Um, and that wasn't until sixth grade. And when she said that, I was like, wow. (laughs) I mean, that's a long time in school to go and not see yourself in a book. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, it is. And, you know, she struggled with, um, how this not knowing her identity has hugely impacted her, her whole life. It was like, she was like, I didn't know where I belonged. I kind of felt lost. And I guess on the other side of that, I was like, okay, here's a super well did colleague of mine that has been hugely impacted by this lack of. Um, So today, Julie and I, we were talking and we were saying like, you know, I, I think this validating conversation is really the place to start because. Um, students have to be able to, you know, know about themselves and learn their own identities so that and, and then be able to share them and be validated for them and accepted and valued um, so that mm-hmm. they feel like they're seen and heard.
0: Yeah. And what I think is interesting is that this is a colleague of yours. And because you had formed this cadre um, around culturally responsive, um, linguistically responsive um, teaching and learning that that sort of gave her validation where sh- she had space to share her, to have that conversation. And I, yeah, think, and that, I think that's true yeah.
1: I was just going to say, I think our colleagues that have gone through this themselves as students are huge resources in our schools that we can
0: really learn from. Right, yeah, yeah. So we know that we need to feel, that our students need to feel safe and our teachers and everyone needs to feel safe um, and seen and heard, um, and have space to be able to do that. So um, as humans, we have a need to, um, so there's a huge importance in of of recognizing um, individuals and differences. And as as humans, we have a need to belong, and we have a need to be unique. These are opposing forces. And as teachers, we need to teach kids that you can belong and be unique, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. So how can we have these conversations? It starts with a shared language.
1: Yeah, and I I think um, so. Uh, the CLR program I was talking about it's led by this um, Dr. Uh, Shiraki Hawley, and he's an author and a speaker and an expert in the area of um, culturally and linguistically responsive teaching. And he says the research is clear: the better who you are, the better you know who you are racially, ethnically and nationally, the more likely you are to validate and affirm others. The concept is simple. When you love yourself and know who you are culturally and
0: linguistically, you are likely to love others. Hmm. Yeah. I really love that. That makes sense. So here's a place to start. Um, doc from Dr. Holly's book, he, um, talks about this ring, these rings of culture, Uh, which is an activity, which is a shared language that we can use to describe ourselves and the different cultures that we are a part of. So it's called rings of culture. And there are seven circles, seven rings, each representing a different portion of culture. So you identify your ethnic culture. That's the circle in the middle. And it has the strongest influence. It is passed down from generation to generation. This is not race. Um, This is, are you Mexican or Nigerian or Indian? So as Holly and I, we were kind of talking about this, I felt like we needed to really define the difference between race and ethnicity. So race is usually associated with biology and linked with physical characteristics such as skin color or hair texture. Ethnicity is linked with cultural expression and identification. However, both are social constructs used to categorize and characterize seemingly distinct populations. So that first, that inner circle is your ethnic circle. And then the surrounding circles include other cultures that people are involved in, social groups, such as gender, age, orientation, um, national, socioeconomic, religion, and there are others that you can add.
1: Yeah. You know, I think like one of them is like your able bodied status or, mm-hmm. you know, um, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so these aren't these aren't limited to that. But I think that right. the whole idea is that culture is something that you share beliefs And values and practices. And, you know, so when Dr. Holly says it, it's like, I have to always think about this, like really carefully, because I think like, you know, it seems like race is an important part and like helping kids validate that. But he talks about how that's just the DNA. That's the biology. That's the physical Mm -hmm. features that's not actually the the beliefs and the practices that's a that's your ethnicity that kind Mm of uh, talks about those um so as far as this the visual if you're looking for a visual for the rings of culture um we're going to share on our instagram feed uh there are two teachers in my district that run the clr lab classroom and they do awesome stuff so uh i asked the asked if i could share some of their stuff so angelique and miscellus and kim pop used rings of culture a lot last year. So we'll put an example of that if you're looking for a visual. Um, Also, you should definitely check out Dr. Holly's book about culturally and linguistically responsive teaching because there are examples of that and deeper
0: explanations. Right, and he talks about us being like kaleidoscopes of these layers, each of us unique and how the layers affect how we see the world. And I did look at um, Angelique's um, Instagram page. What is her Instagram page called though? It's something different. It's at the Aqua chalkboard. Oh yeah. Aqua chalkboard. So I looked and one thing that was really, really cool was one of her students had created uh, her rings of culture at her home. And I think she's told um, her teacher, I believe something about like, I have this at home now because this is how I see things. And I thought that was just so powerful. So we're kind of um, giving kids this language of, Um, this is, we each have these different, very deep identities and we can, once we start to recognize our own self and love our own self, then we can project that to others. So I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah. And I love that. I had a conversation with Angelique this week to just kind of delve into how she, introduces her rings to students and how she uses them in the classroom and you know reflecting on what her students said that was similar to something angelique said to me and she just said once you see the rings of culture you can't unsee them like mm-hmm. she's like when i see somebody like i see them in all of these different layers um which right. is like that kaleidoscope idea it's super cool hmm um, okay. So in my conversation with Angelique and talking about like, well, how do you introduce this to students? Um, she kind of started and she, they sent a newsletter out to the district where they said, we introduce the rings of culture to our students the first week because they know that they are at, we know that they are at the heart of our work with CLR. And I think that's important because like, if you're going to start these conversations, getting language in place, like, what do you do first? This could be a great first step. Yeah. Um, so I asked her, like, well, how do you introduce the rings in your classroom? And she said, in August and September, it's all about building students' identity, helping them understand their own identities and sharing it. Um, so she says they present the language, what each of the rings mean. She said that she and Kim both shared their own rings with students using the language. Um, and she said having a strong sense of of their own identity helped them talk through this with their students. Um, yeah. so then, yeah, which I think, I mean, that kind of relates to what Dr. Holly had said before, like the more, you know, yourself and your identity, the more valuable
0: me yeah. you'll beat up. And I could see this being used as a beginning of the year, um, whole staff activity, like creating everyone, creating, um, culture rings and, uh, kind of starting there.
1: Yeah. That's funny. We did actually do that. as oh, did you do that? Our, yeah. yeah. as part of our training and rings I do of culture culture. Really yeah. Yeah. Um, so then they have their students complete their rings and share them. And that lays the base for October when they really dive into, you know, now these are our rings. We know which ones are similar. We know which ones are different. How do we move into accepting differences?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so then I asked her like, okay, so the rest of the year, you get these rings in place. And I think, you know, I I feel like I've done some of these activities, like kind of these get to your know, know yourself activities, maybe with um, like uh, different types of learning styles or something like right. that. And You know, maybe I mentioned them a few times in the year, throughout the year, but this is really that idea of like, if you're going to do this activity, then now how do you infuse it the rest of the year? Um, So she talked about like the rings really are the base for these deep conversations, which is what this is about, you know, kind of building capacity in your class for your students to have deep conversations with each other on these topics. Mm -hmm. Um, so she talks about, and I I mean, everything she does is awesome, but she has, um, the, the rings are on a silver ring that they can, the kids can flip through and sometimes they'll bring them and with them when they're reading a book. And she said, you know, so they'll read a little bit and I'll notice kids are like going through the rings and kind of like evaluating where characters are talking with friends about where their characters are in the book and what rings they represent, um, She talked about how it's kind of become a base of discussion for students to bring home to families. Mm -hmm. And that was a really interesting piece because I said, like, okay, at the end of the year, how were your kids different? And she said, well, my kids were more accepting of each other in general and and more willing to have these open conversations Mm -hmm. in class. But the feedback that I got from families was really awesome. And it just was like, you know, my kids are talking, ask really curious about who we are and where we come from. They're asking mm-hmm. me questions. It's open up a lot of conversations for us at home. And I think like with everything that's going on in the world, it's like, we need to have more of these conversations. Yeah. Um,
0: I love that. I just think that's just such a great way to give. It's just such a great way to start the year with staff, with kids, with families, And it's just a great piece to start to start a conversation. Um, You know, it gives kids the language. It gives like everyone's doing it. Um, It's it really is. I think it's like the perfect uh, validating activity, Um, which leads us, I believe, to um, our next topic. So once now your students feel validated, um, the next step is opening up emotional conversation. What is the best way to help your students work through their emotions? Well, actually, it's kind of simple. Let's take a look at the research. There was a UCLA study that recruited people who had a fear of spiders and measured their fear responses as they got close to the spider and as they attempted to pick it up. Guess which group was able to lower their stress response? Group A was asked to describe their emotion, such as, I'm anxious and frightened by the ugly, terrifying spider. Group B was asked to use neutral terms. That little spider can't hurt me. I'm not afraid of it. Group C was asked to say something off topic, like, look at that truck. Group D was asked to say nothing. Which group do you think showed the lowest stress response? If you guessed group A, you're correct. Just the act of talking about negative emotions helps us process them and lowers our stress. So this is the same for our students. In fact, when people aren't able to accurately specifically label their emotions, they're less likely to be able to self-regulate those emotions. So we can help our students level up by simply having emotional conversations. Ones where we talk about our specific emotions and how they're connected to our body responses.
1: Yeah, this is amazing to me. And and, and I think like, you know, we don't often think about like just being able to accurately describe and have the language to accurately describe Mm -hmm. how you're feeling can help you be more regulated. Um, But I have heard that term, like if you can name it, you can tame it.
0: Right. I mean, and of course, this isn't just for our students. This is for us. And that's like with my dad and all these emotions that I've been processing. I've really been trying to like name it, feel it in my body so that it doesn't hit me like a truck, you know, just sort of like, and I, and I think it really is helpful. So I think it's something that we can all really, we can practice. Yeah, I think so too.
1: Um, Okay. So how can we talk about these emotions so students can process them? We probably are going to need some kind of shared language. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the things we talk a lot about on this podcast is the ladder system. And really what the ladder system is, is a shared language you can use in your classroom or for yourself um, to kind of uh, explain, kind of become more emotionally aware of where you are and how it's affecting you, Um, because that's the first step to naming it, to tame it. Um, Mm -hmm. So the ladder is based on this polyvagal theory, just a quick review, uh, which includes kind of three states of uh, well-being. So the first state, the top rung is, we usually call it the green state, but it's safe and social. Um, So this is kind of where you want to be most of your time because um, that's where you're more likely to receive health benefits, um, have true happiness, be more relaxed. So specific emotions that you'll experience during this time might be like being relaxed, being happy being curious, being excited. Um, But it also is specifically related to body cues. Um, So the big thing is each, each of these levels has an energy level. And for the green level, the safe and social, it's a balanced energy where you have a regular heartbeat, relaxed muscle tone, gentle eye contact, and a voice that has some variation and isn't monotone. Um, The second rung is the middle rung and that's the yellow rung and it represents the fight or flight emotional state. So some specific emotions you might have during this time, like if you're in the fight part, you might go anywhere from being irritated to being irate or angry. Um, If you're in the flight, you might go anywhere from being like mildly nervous to panic. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, looking at the body cues the energy level for this area, if you're in fight or flight, you always will have an elevated energy level. Um, because if you're, a, if, if you're an animal in the wild, you would need that in order to escape with fight or flight or fight back. During this time, also the same idea is like you'd be hyper-focused. You're more likely to have a fast heart rate, tense muscles, and need to move um, mm-hmm. in some way. And then that bottom rung is the red one. That's the shutdown rung. Basically, when you're like, I've given up, this is the rung you get to. And in an animal world, this acts for protection, because sometimes if an animal plays dead, the predator loses interest. So Mm -hmm. that's those are kind of like the ancient ties to it. Um, But specific emotions you might feel during this time are anywhere from sad to exhausted to ashamed. Um, And your body cues the energy levels key here. It's really low. Mm -hmm. You probably have little to no movement your eyes are probably downcast, maybe vacant.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so how could this look in your classroom? We know time is always an issue, but this is important. So how can we find ways to have regular conversations about emotions while also deepening social connections in our classrooms? One idea is to do a turn and talk with a partner, maybe a a partner of choice to increase increase the safety. Maybe you don't want to use partners at all. Maybe it's an individual check-in. Maybe it's a Google form. You'll probably need the latter visual to see so students can refer to it for how they're feeling and how this, um, and how the connection, how this, what this has to do with how their body is feeling, with their emotion. Um, maybe if kids indicate they're in a red, maybe you have a system for You know, letting the teacher know, letting a counselor know um, when students indicate that they're in the red. We want to empower students to help themselves with tools to have conversations. But we know as adults that we need to be the ultimate um, the ultimate support. Um, So this is a way to practice language and um, to build community, to build relationships. And ultimately, to normalize these types of behaviors so that we all know that we're all okay. It's okay to not feel okay. And we can do something about it. So,
1: once students have identified their emotions, um, and I think it's important for them to understand that all human exper- all humans experience this range of emotions. And it's totally normal. Um, but they need to have hope that if they are in but they have the power to help themselves feel better. So the next step is really about having a hopeful conversation with them about empowerment and giving them tools so that they can regulate themselves. So the goal isn't for them to just recognize when they are feeling dysregulated, but also give them a choice of tools that they can pick to make themselves feel better. And there are tons of research techniques. And that's like, Julie, when we were first doing this, it was like, Whoa, here are all the techniques, but how can we think about how they all fit together um, to help students kind of categorize like, okay, which area do I need to upgrade? And I also want to say that I think um, we have current, like a lot of us are adopting SEL programs or have current Mm -hmm. ones, but um, those tools that are taught in these SEL programs really fit neatly into this RISE system that we're going to talk about.
0: Right. So our RISE system, um, as a review, stands for resetting your body, your inner voice, your social connections and your environment. And it really is an owner's manual for humans. Um, It teaches different research based tips for having a better life. Um, and each category has a little bit different purpose, but all are important. So the R for reset the body is effective for disrupting intense emotions by resetting your nervous system and internal rhythm of your body. For example, that might be, um, rhythm breathing, tapping, humming, moving might be some of those tools. Yeah.
1: Well, I was kind of thinking like, how does this look in action? And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of picturing like, okay, Kate comes back from lunch or recess, and, Cause you know, that's when like a lot of things kind of stir up mm-hmm. and um, you know, they come in and they're dysregulated in some way. They're upset, they're angry, you know, they're, they're down in the dumps, whatever it is, but being able to say to them like, you know, Hey, take a minute. Why don't you, you know, see where you are on the ladder and then look at the reset your body tools. Cause if they're experiencing intense emotions, that's a great place to start, Um, but having a list of them and, and giving them the ownership um, to choose what tool is going to work best for them at the
0: time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I think the next section is the I section, which represents inner voice Um, and inner voice is really just about monitoring your self-talk and Mm -hmm. kind of showing students how powerful it can be that negative, a negative thought pattern can determine how they look at the world And likewise, a positive thought pattern can also have a really powerful impact. So um, giving them specific tools, like showing them how you can flip your limiting beliefs, talking about the importance of self-love and how to be compassionate with yourself, Mm -hmm. um, giving them tools for when you're not feeling confident, here are some, some things that you can say to yourself, like some affirmations that
0: might support you in
1: getting to a more confident place. Right. Yeah. And
0: I can see that being part of like a journal activity or a, again, kind of a morning check-in. I think that could look really different, like with little kids, with elementary kids. I've seen teachers doing like class affirmations, which could just model what it is. And then students can kind of be writing their own affirmations or older kids can be practicing flipping some of their beliefs that don't support themselves. Um, And again, these are tools like basic tools. Clearly, if somebody is in a really bad state, you're going to go see your psychologist, your counselor, you know. But this is just like some very, some simpler tools um, to have kids be able to help themselves. Um, Which brings us to the S and RISE, which is social connections. We know that social connections are crucial for the happiness of all humans. So teach your students how to make strong connections with their peers in your classroom. Teach them how to meet people with compassion. Teach them how to seek out emotional support teach them how to disagree and still keep their friends, which was our past episode, (laughs) which was last week.
1: (laughs) And we're always talking about as teachers, like our kids need, you know, these social skills. Um, And we do a lot with cooperative group work. But, you know, like I think as people, we need social skills. Like, you know, the Mm -hmm. things that we've been researching, I'm like, oh, this would have been great to know my whole life.
0: Right. And some of these things I think we do without realizing it as adults today, I was actually, I walked to Starbucks with a friend and another friend came to talk to us and he was kind of venting a little bit about his job. And we were kind of just having this conversation. And when he left, because of the lens that I now have, in my mind, I thought, oh, he's socially connecting to work through his emotions. It wasn't yeah. a negative vent. It was just like, yeah. oh, he kind of was just talking about work. But I, I saw it in a different way. And I think sometimes like you can kind of say to yourself, like, okay, I you know, may, might be a good time for me to socially connect and, and kind of talk through some of my emotions. I think it's just yeah. recognizing it. Um, so there's my little yeah. social connection tidbit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say the compassion piece too. I use that all the time, you know, instead of, I used to be a big, like jump in and problem solve. And now I'm like, okay, like, you know, use the open method, go Mm -hmm. down the ladder, meet them with compassion. Um, Yeah. So, okay. The last category is E for environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really understanding that your environments can really affect you. So you as a teacher being the leader in the class really have Um, traditionally the teacher has all the power really to adapt the classroom environment which could include the physical elements or the systems within it Um, but I think our move right now and especially in this climate but just in general in education is like how do you empower students to be like this isn't the environment but these are the changes that you can make Mm -hmm. Um, so like some simple examples might be like if kids find that they're dysregulated Maybe it has to do with being triggered by people around them. So giving them the power to change location, Mm -hmm. um, that giving them some skills, like if you have kids that have executive functioning skills, specifically teaching them how to tidy up their possessions or declutter or, um, showing them how, like, if they're overwhelmed, like, you know, you're doing, uh, something on the computer and they're overwhelmed, you know, saying to them like you monitor your electronics use maybe there's a different way you can do that
0: right yeah Uh, and you know these things can be easy to teach it's to me this is just like something that like a slow drip that you're kind of you know teaching these different tools um and maybe this is some people have calming corners maybe these are tools in your calming corner um again maybe having your students paired up with a trusted partner um that they can kind of work through some of these things with these things with because uh, we are going to potentially have a lot more dysregulated humans uh, in the fall, um, all coming together. So we need to be proactive and kind of put the time in in the very beginning, just like we, you know, used to think about. You know, set up your your systems at the beginning. I think this is like a new system that we need to put our time in at the beginning of the year before um, before it's you know you get into bad habits. And you're not having the conversations and, and leaving the space for, for the things that we need to, um, to help our students feel seen and heard.
1: I agree. OK, so our tool for this week is like, OK, how, how can we use this daily ladder check in system um, and give students the opportunity to identify their emotions and have conversations about it with a trusted partner? so that it normalizes it for them. They can leverage that social component, but it also gives um, builds a more compassionate community as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first thing that you're going to need is a ladder visual. And uh, with this week, we have two two tools this week. And the other one is a custom emoji visual. And we haven't used the regular emojis for the emotions because in our research, we've really found that Um, There are specific facial features that go with different emotions, and it's key for kids to be able to identify, to read people, to be able to identify those expressions. Mm. So we've included emojis that mimic human expressions for each emotion. Um, The second thing you're going to need is the ladder conversation chart. Um, And this is the fill in the blank conversation. So students can use the sentence stems to guide their conversations with each other. Uh, and those sentence stems are included on the tool. So Julie and I are going to work through a conversation as if we were, um, as if Julie's the student and I'm the trusted
0: partner. Okay. Okay. So
1: Ready. Here's how I go. <laughs> um, how are you feeling, Julie?
0: Um, let's see. Let me look at the chart. I am feeling nervous.
1: Oh, I'm sorry you're feeling that way. What's your energy level?
0: Uh, my energy level is kind of high. Hmm.
1: So what clues is your body giving you?
0: Um, my stomach feels tight. My leg is kind of bouncing up and down.
1: Yeah, I can see that. So where do you think you are on the ladder?
0: Um, I think I'm in, in the yellow. I think I'm in flight. Huh.
1: Are you okay right now? Or do you want to feel better?
0: Well, I'd like to feel more relaxed.
1: Okay. Well, let's look at the list of rise tools to see if there's one that you could pick to help yourself feel better.
0: Um, well, I know when I get stressed out, I need to move. So I think I'm going to ask the teacher if I can go get a drink and do some long exhale breathing because that's helped me before.
1: Yeah, and I uh, so that was the conversation. <laughs> um, but thinking about like a big part of this is teaching partners how to to compassionately respond, which I think kind of pays big dividends in other areas in your classroom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like telling them how to say things like, oh, I'm really sorry, that's hard. Or on the flip side, like, oh, I'm really happy for you. Yeah, it feels good to be excited.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or just that offer of, can I help? So mm-hmm. people don't feel like they're in it by themselves.
0: Well, it's really about empowering students to ask for what they need to be a part of the regulation process themselves and having some skills to be able to support their peers. Okay, so
1: check out the latter tools that we posted on our Rise for Educators (laughs) social media sites, and consider how you might use these in your classroom, either in person or virtually. All tools are most powerful when they're personalized, so you should make them your own, and your kids should also have choice in them.
0: So this week is all about putting validation and emotional safety practices into place that will help you provide more equity in your class next year by fostering a sense of belonging and celebrating individual identities of students. So let us know how these tools work for you. You can contact us on email at riseforeducators at gmail. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at riseforeducators and we really look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for tuning in and join us next Monday for our next episode of Rise for Educators.
1: Have a great week. Bye, Hal. Bye, Julie.